Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, Is That Even Legal? Today's guest is David Williams. David is an attorney at Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. He's also a personal friend. He's a partner at the firm. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. I really appreciate coming on. Thanks for having me. I want to tell you a story, David, and, and the story is why I wanted to have you on. And and it's, it's come up recently. There's, there's some issues that have come up in the political scene. We'll talk about those in a second. But I want to tell you a story about my friend. A friend calls me up and he's working for a mega corporation. We're not going to say what it is. And as he's working for a mega corporation, mega corporation decides they need to make these layoffs, right? And he gets sweeped up in these mass layoffs and he's a, you know, mid-level to lower level guy. You know, he's, he has a management over his little tiny section of the, of the mega corp. But he's pretty low level generally at the, at the firm. Maybe like a, $75,000 a year guy, okay? But he needs his job. He really likes his job, and now he's getting laid off. And they come to him, a guy with four kids at home that he's trying to support, and a wife who's not well, and they hand him a piece of paper, and the piece of paper says, we'll give you six months wages, provided that you never go to work with another company that competes in our area. And by the way, this company is huge and they have many lines of product. And so really what they're saying is for six months wages, or you could be out on the street right now, we will ruin your career. And now he's stuck in a really tough spot. There's no negotiation here. You can't come back and say, well, maybe not this section. I'll scratch it off. No, they're not going to countersign that. They don't care. What's your reaction to that? You know, those types, so that type of situation that you outlined with your friend is pretty common when people are leaving employment. They're given a severance package where they say, hey, you can go work for six months, but now you got to sit out for a period of time and you can't go work for a competitor and you can't go work in your chosen field. Um, and that does put people in a really hard economic spot, you know, the, the proverbial rock in a hard place. And it creates tension because you want um, to you want an employer or a company to protect their investment in an employee and while which allow by giving them time to come back and replace that employee. But you also want to promote competition in the marketplace because the United States economy is a free market economy. Is it so, though when we have contracts like that? Is it really free market? The, the goal is to promote free market. And that's the tension between these types of agreements that that put a restriction on your ability to go work in the area where you want. Uh, those types of those types of agreements are generally called restrictive covenants. Now, there's a lot of different types of them, but the one you described is something we call a non-competition agreement. Um, 
That type of agreement generally says um, for a period of time, usually a, on average about a year or six months, you basically have to not work in a specific geographic area. Typically, it's um, a, in a state or in a small section of a town. And for that period of time, you got to sit out. You can, the purpose behind that is so that it gives the employer an opportunity to bring in a new employee, train that new employee, get that new employee up to speed because they've turned around and invested in the former employee. And they don't want that former employee to basically walk away with, um, maybe taking customers or or taking employees with them out the door, and the employer wants to protect that investment. Um, and the courts and the states have generally said, depending upon the scope and the, the duration or the length of time, these types of agreements, we will generally sometimes enforce them, but they have to be reasonable. They All have right. to be fair. Hang on. So let me talk about why we, you know, we're talking about this one of my friend, right? My, yeah. This happened to my friend, and it's been non at me since ever since he told me about it. And you know, and the and the answer to the friend is, well, do you need that six months wages? And can you do something else? Do you have another, another place to go? Or you know, or you so either sign it or don't sign it, but essentially just take your yeah. take your poison pill, and, whatever it is. But here's what's interesting: the Biden administration. You know, a few, golly, it would be... Back in early October is when they did looks this. Like, looks like he did this in July. He yeah. did an executive order on promoting competition in the American economy. Mm-hmm. And if you read through that, this is a multi-page manifesto to competition, all right? And in this manifesto, I, it, and that's how it, all, it reads this way, okay? I'm not trying to be, you know, partisan. That's just the way it reads. It's, it talks about net neutrality. It talks about antitrust. It talks about uh, certain industries uh, in farming and, and manufacturing. And then there's this little clause in there about non-competes. And in this document, Biden says, FTC, Federal Trade Commission, we want you to engage in rulemaking to limit non-competes yep what what do we think of that so um so what you're talking about was the executive order that president biden released in early july um and all it really was was a directive to the federal trade commission which regulates um consumer business and and regulates um basically consumer practice type laws in the in in that are involved in interstate commerce across across state lines um and he basically said ftc Figure out a way to regulate this, these types of agreements, these restrictive covenants, specifically non-compete agreements, to make them more fair. And it's actually kind of developed a little more because on October 1st, the um, the Senate confirmed a new chairman of the of the FTC. And that chairperson is basically saying, hey, look, this is my marching. These are my marching orders. We're going to regulate these. And so um, they in some level, they want to regulate these um, agreements out of the marketplace. They don't want you to be able to use these agreements. Um, and there's the problem is there's sort of a balancing act between these at the end of the day. A non-compete says that you can't work in a given lo- given location for a given period of time and in a given type of field, right? So why is this bad and why is it good? So let's talk about the basic idea behind these, because okay. in order to understand why the government is against them, you really kind of have to understand what they are, first of all. So and, and this is what I do as part of my law practice is I counsel 
business owners on um, these types of agreements because at the end of the day, really, um, when a business starts something, they want they have something they want to protect. They invest maybe in um, developing leads in an area. So let me give you an example. Um, let's say you've got a guy who works in North Phoenix. Okay, we're in Arizona, so I'm just going to use that. And he um, his the owner of the company is selling a particular type of product, and he invests hundreds of thousands of dollars developing a lead list. And he gives this lead list to his chief sales guy and says, hey, I want you to go market my product all across North Phoenix. Um, well, the employer has spent a lot of time out of his own month, out of his own pocket, developing a lead list. And now suddenly the sales guy gets recruited by uh, another business that sells a similar product. And this sales guy then goes over and works over here for company B. And then he's taking company A's lead list. And now he's going to start basically soliciting all those customers. Um, the, what we say, or at least what businesses have tried to do to, to limit that type of thing is they say, look, you're a sales guy. I just, I just gave you my lead list. I just spent a, a lot of my money giving you access to co- my clients and you then turn around and take my clients and go over here to company B. Um, so what they do is they say, we're going to put a restriction on you. And there's different types of restrictions. The most, uh, the most burdensome restriction is what we call the non-competition one. That's the non-compete agreement where it says, for a period of time, the sales guy can't work in North Phoenix for, say, a year, and he has to sit out and in that during that year period. So if if the employee goes, the sales guy goes and works for Company B immediately, he would be violating the terms of that contract. Um, the reason we want one of those, at least from the employer's perspective, is you want to be able to protect that employer's investment and give that employer a certain amount of time to bring in a new sales guy, expose him to those customers, let him build relationships with those customers so that he has time to basically replace the guy that he just lost. Um, now, the other types of restrictions is something we call a non-solicitation, which says um, for a period of time, you can't contact your former customers or you can't contact my employees and and solicit them and invite them to come over here to company B and steal more of my my people that I've invested in. And so what we try to do at the at the court level and at the state level and even what President Biden was trying to do at the federal level is balancing out the burden that these types of agreements um, or these provisions place on the employee that's leaving their job and also the interest of the employer or the company owner that invested in that employee. And that's the balancing act. All right. So I want to push you a little bit. Okay. So you talked about there's one type of contract is a non-solicitation. And that says, don't take my employees, don't take, don't take, um, uh, Your customers my customers for, yeah. for a period of time, given period of time. Another type of contract is this non-compete. And that's what Biden talked about in his manifesto executive yep. order. And but there's a third type of contract, right? Yeah. So there's all there's a there's that's no, involved in this type of competition arena. Those types of contracts are generally referred to. They're not necessarily just contracts. They're trade secret agreements, yeah, right? Yeah, so, so there's different levels of protection that, that um, the government recognizes. So, for instance, if I'm Coca-Cola, right? I know I manufacture Coca-Cola. Well, you know what is generally the ingredients of Coca-Cola because they're on the can, but you don't know the order in which they put them in. It's the secret sauce. That secret sauce is what we call a trade secret. Right. Or if you're a KFC guy and you know the, the Colonel Sanders 12 herbs and spices, you don't know the order that he puts those 12 herbs and spices in. That's the secret. And so the fact that that, that gives that something value is it's a, a secret. So the government says you can protect those things called trade secrets. Um, and those are something that are subject to a higher level of protection. That's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about the situation where um, maybe I 
have confidential information, which might be might be secret, but it's not super secret or or more likely is I give you access to my customers or I give you access to my my lead list. And so you want to protect my ability to retain those customers when my key employee who I gave access to those customers leaves to go get a different job. But my customer list can be a trade secret, right? I it mean, can be in, under certain circumstances. Absolutely. If you keep it a secret. But um, you're, the, the point of that is um, giving someone access to your to your customer list and then they go out and they develop relationships with your customers because you're trying to sell them. And they're the ones call, and that key salesperson is contacting that employee or contacting that customer all the time. And so then the courts want to say, well, how do we how do we protect that employer's interest in their customers and the employee's ability to go out and get a job in the marketplace? You know, what bothers me about this is generally speaking, you know, these non-competes and again, Biden's orders about this Mm non-compete, these non-compete agreements, rather. What bothers me is people like my friend mid-level to low-level, trying to scratch out a living, they get thrown these non-competes. But other professionals, people tend towards towards the top of the income earning spectrum, they frequently don't have them, right? Yeah, well, actually, they're, they're pretty commonly used, but where you really get the problem is they're abused. And so what you typically see is like a CFO or a, a chief financial officer or a chief executive officer, somebody who's been involved in the, the day-to-day workings of a company, typically they will sometimes have these types of agreements. But what happens is an employer wants to impose them on the low-level guy, the low-level lady, the person that maybe is, um, isn't really – um, selling something important. And so what the, the problem is, employers abuse these types of agreements by then trying to ban one of their, you know, $45,000 a year salespeople from working in a sales field. Right. But but what I'm saying is so there's certain industries that these are these are illegal already. Like, oh, sure. Like, absolutely. Medicine. Yeah, absolutely. So, for instance, in a corporate medical practice, right, you have um, right now we have a lot of medical practices that aren't owned by individual doctors anymore. They're owned by corporate, large corporate companies. And you have doctors then that leave that corporate medical practice and the the medical practice itself, the corporate medical practice, tries to put a restriction on the doctor or or the uh, health professional that's leaving. And they try to say, look, you can't see patients in Prescott Valley or you can't see patients in the entire area of Flagstaff. And what the the courts have generally said and at the state level have basically said, no, we're not going to really let you um, restrict where a health professional can practice because we want people to be able to freely choose their their doctor or their or their chiropractor or their dentist. All right. So this is the hypocrisy I want to expose. But first, I got to take a break. Um, We've got to have a word from our sponsor. Okay, David? Sure. No, absolutely. (laughs) Pay the bills here. Folks, the entire purpose of this podcast is to make the law more understandable. We break it down. We sort it out. We get rid of the legalese. There's a product out there that helps lawyers do this for their clients. It's called DocuPlayer. And what it does, it allows a lawyer to explain a document on a video. You could highlight the document. You could point specific things out to the client. You could explain the document as you go to the client. Clients love it. They understand the document better. And they get to go through the document with the lawyer as many times as they want just by hitting rewind. If you're a lawyer, check out the product at DocuPlayer.com. 
If you're a client, insist upon using it. All right, you just got done saying that certain industries, it's already illegal. And, and medical practice is one of those areas. We don't want doctors to have to not take patients with them, right? We don't want doctors to have to leave the state and find a new place to live. No, those people are important. But these low-level people, they're treated differently. And they can't continue their profession why aren't these things illegal? So, um, again, it's trying to balance it. It's trying to figure out what's fair. Yeah, but, but David, let me, let me push you on this. Okay. It, isn't this about power isn't, from, one, from the whole perspective? Sure. Because when you look at these non-competes for the doctors, those corporate practices, they put in a ton of dough setting up oh, yeah. the doctor's practices. And once you've established that relationship, y'all follow that doctor 5, 10, maybe 20 miles isn't yeah. that what we're talking about? Well, there's a policy reason because okay. like in the health area, you want people to be able to freely choose their doctor or their dentist or their chiropractor. The same thing with lawyers. You don't want um, a lawyer has professional responsibilities to their clients and the ethical rules or professional rules that regulate lawyers. You don't want them being limited by a non-compete agreement. Um, but um, the state and there are ways that they are. These types of agreements are regulated at multiple levels. And and let's just talk about that for a minute, because um when if I'm an employee and, and I get a letter, typically the way this happens is I leave my job. I go join a different I go join company B and my former employer sends me a letter that says, hey, we're going to sue you unless you quit your new job. And so then if the if former employer wants to enforce that, they take me to court. Okay? OK. And so the first way that these de are dealt with is a court has to enforce these types of agreements. And. Um, in, in Arizona, we enforce these mainly based on the reasonableness of them. They have to be limited in the scope, i.e. how far the geographic area is. Is it five miles, 10 miles, something like that, which is generally reasonable, or maybe six months to a year in duration. Those would be generally enforceable depending upon the type of profession. And they're frequently also, when they talk about scope, that that is the scope of the type of employment. For Absolutely. example, what if I am a insurance guy and I sell life insurance okay? yep. and I have a non-compete and my non-compete is don't sell life insurance uh, in the state of Arizona for the next two years? Okay? Yeah, not enforceable. Okay. Now, what if I say, okay, I won't sell life insurance, but I'm going to sell annuities? Um Probably outside this, it would probably be okay to do that. But like in that type of situation, the type of enforceable one that a court would say, okay, this is a reasonable non-compete is you can't sell um, property casualty insurance, homeowners, you know, like uh, a life insurance policy or a, or a car insurance or automobile policy in like 10 miles of where you used to work for the next six months. Those are reasonable restrictions. Banning somebody and saying, hey, you can't work and sell life insurance in the entire state of Arizona is way overbroad. Okay. And so a court would likely strike that down. The other way that these are being regulated is at the state level. So like in some states, California, North Dakota, these types of non-compete agreements are illegal. You can't even use them. You can't enforce them. And, and they're not even 
regulatable. Um, some states are trying to take a more balanced approach, um, and they are they they ban these types of non-competition agreements based maybe on the income of the employee. So, for instance, in Virginia, they 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 ban these at um, at employees who make less than sixty thousand dollars a year. In the state of Washington, um, if you make less than a hundred thousand dollars a year, you can't have these types of agreements imposed on you. And then you get back to the federal level, which is President Biden's um, and, uh, agreement. Okay, so. so I want you to talk about that because, again, this seems odd to me that Biden wants to do at the federal level what the states have been doing for decades at the state level. Why do we need Biden to step in and slap the hand of what we're already doing, the states. So I think are the re- already doing. Yeah, I think the reason you have that is because you have so many different states taking so many different approaches. So, for instance, you have California that bans them outright. You have Arizona where we say, okay, we'll limit some of them, and there's no uniformity. And so that's what President Biden is. He's hearing from his. Um, constituents to, from the people that he ha- who have his ear, and they say, "Hey, look, we don't want these agreements at all. We need the federal government to step in and create uniformity and make it and regulate these across across the United States." So we have uniformity, but isn't that part of competition, right? As if the state of, state of Arizona goes out and it says, "We are open for business. We want you, big business, to come here." California. We all know you're miserable out there and with your gridlock and your smog. Come to Arizona, bring your gridlock, bring your smog here. Um, but they say, yeah, bring those big companies here. We don't have those type of regulations. Isn't that our state's way of competing? Absolutely. And so, so why do we need the federal government then to regulate us? You know, it, it's again, it all comes down to it's a balancing act. It's it's some states these types of agreements may make sense if um you know if i'm in a if i'm in an area where it's heavily populated and i have a lot of ability to go move from one job to another very easily and i can move my business from one place to another very easily then you're these are these competi- these these types of agreements are probably more doable okay but let's say i live in a small town in in north dakota where you know, I, if I'm an insurance agent, I, I can I can set up shop in one small town, but then suddenly um, I want to open up another shop, and I can't open up anywhere in, in like a 300 mile or 400 mile radius because there's no business. It's a rural area, so in some areas it may make sense to ban these types of agreements in maybe where you can't get competition, but in areas where you have more opportunities for competition, they're probably more likely to be enforced. And that's where you need the balancing act. And that's why some, a lot of people are criticizing what President Biden is trying to do is because he's trying to do a one size fits all type of solution to this. And that's always been the balancing act between the federal and state government. It's the federal government wants to come in and try to impose a one-size-fits-all solution, whereas at the state level, we the states say, wait a second, our state is unique. We know what's um, going on within the borders of our state. Let us figure it out because we're not California or we're not Florida. And so that's the sort of natural tension between all of this. Okay. So I want to talk about uh, – this actual standard. Okay. Almost all jurisdictions have the same standard. It's, it has to be reasonable in scope, geographically, it has to be reasonable in time. Okay. Okay. If I'm an employer, what is reasonable to protect my interest? So here's, here's the, here's the, 
soft answer is it depends because there's no hard and fast rule of what is reasonable. So let me go let me go back to the example of the the insurance agent in North Dakota, okay, or the insurance agent in a rural community. All right, it might be reasonable to impose a three mile restriction there, but it might be reasonable in Arizona to impose a 20 mile restriction. And it all depends on how much competition there is. So again, it's, the restriction is based on the amount of time that they force the, the, the employee to sit out, not compete, and the, and the geographic area in which you're limiting them. So if they're in an area where there's not a lot of competition, a court's more likely not going to enforce these types of agreements because they they basically ban competition versus maybe in an area where you have more ability to compete. They might give you a broader, like a, a more a geographically broad, say maybe a 10, 20, 30 mile radius type of restriction, or maybe even say like the entire area of Flagstaff. Um, and they might say for 12 months because there's more, there's less burden on the employee. So the standard is, is it reasonable and, and, um, the other standard is that the employer has to have something to protect. And that's something that we really haven't talked about is we've talked about the burden at these places, but an employer actually has to have something they're trying to protect. They just can't impose these types of restrictions on an employee for no reason. The The employer has to have what we call a protectable interest, like their customer list or or their the knowledge of their product, that they don't want their former employee to go out and say, hey, look, I know how to reconstruct um, his former employer's special Secret sauce. Right. Okay. You want to be able to have that have that employer come in and give that person, that employer, enough time to replace their former employee. I'm gonna guess that every employer thinks that their that their products are so special, that their service is so special, that it should be massive, the geographical scope. Have you ever seen an unreasonable geographic scope in these <laughs> you, things? You see them a lot more than you think. Uh-huh. Um because um Typically, what you'll see. What have you seen? So, I've actually seen someone that banned someone from working on planet Earth. Okay. Um, literally, it was it was like an it was it was like some uh, auto sales guy, and he basically said, "You can't work, you can't sell cars anywhere on planet Earth." So, I guess that leaves open Mars and Jupiter are are from you know. But seriously, I mean, people get a little crazy with these things. Um, we've so I've seen them in large geographic areas where it would say like uh, on a, the more typical one I see is you can't work anywhere within the state. Um, which is still unreasonable. That is um, unreasonable. Or you have to set out for three or four years, which again is reasonable, really unreasonable because again, it places a really heavy burden on the employee, like your friend. You know, you're, you're stuck in a position of, I want to be able to feed my family and I want to be able to work, but you're, you're offering me six months of, severance. And so what do I do here? You know, when you get too greedy as an employer, okay, and this is my, this is, and the reason why I'm saying this is not because I'm anti-employer. I'm I'm playing devil's advocate a lot, but this one's actual, you know, hey, call up David if you're an employer and you think you're thinking about this, because if you get too greedy, you're inviting lawsuits and you're inviting a lot of trouble. Back in the day when I, you know, did commercial litigation, uh, I remember a guy came to me and he and he was subject to a non-compete. It was a very unusual situation and he had this non-compete and it was the com- non-compete was his entire business against another entire business for the entirety of Arizona and for a duration of 2 years. So essentially this thing was going to shut him down for 2 years and he couldn't practice his craft, his his business would be gone, it'd be done. And it was a really oddly worded, uh, you know, 
contract. And he says to me, I'm just going to, you know, breach this contract. You know, the guy who was mm-hmm. subject to the non-compete. I'm going to breach it, Bob. And then I'm going to fight him in court. And I said, no, 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 no. Let's do it some. Let's do it different. And I said, stick in the contract. And then we're going to file a lawsuit saying they've breached the contract. And also their contract is illegal. And he says, oh, okay, that sounds great. So we filed a lawsuit and I get a call from the opposing attorney and we're going to win this. I said, that sounds fantastic. But if you don't win, the everyone's going to know that, <laughs> that your 300 of the these illegal contracts are going to be totally invalid. And then everyone's going to leave your guy. And he's like, hmm. And he you know, hangs at the phone. And a couple of days later, I get a call. Hey. Maybe we could just let him out of the contract. That sounds fantastic, pal. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you can't get greedy, right? Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and and the approach that you did with your former client is one very productive approach because these employers that use these overreaching agreements, they don't want them invalidated across their company. Because if you have one employee that stands up to one of these overreaching contracts and a court says, no, this contract is not legal, we're not going to enforce it, then it invalidates those contracts all across the com- uh, all across that employer's business. Where I see a lot of, so you were talking about employers being underhanded. A lot of times you see them, like you you gave the example of your buddy getting one of these presented on their way out the door as a severance agreement. Yeah. A lot of times employers bury these types of agreements in a company handbook and they give you a 200 page company handbook and they say, hey, read this as part of your onboarding process with us. And you sign it and you probably don't read it cover to cover and buried on page 400 or buried on page 73 is a non-competition agreement that limits you from working for the next two years in, in, in the entire Rocky mountain area. And a lot of people read, don't, they don't read them and they sign them. And then on the way out the door, their employer says, Hey, do you remember when I brought you on board three years ago and you signed my company handbook? Guess what? There's a non-competition agreement in here. So you can't go over here and work for company B who just recruited you away from me. And that's where a lot of these types of things get underhanded. And then employers put other things in them that um, where they might try to have a court rewrite the agreement. So if the if, for instance, if the agreement's overbroad, they then say, okay, well, if it's if if the entire state of Arizona and three years is too broad, then we're going to ask a court to say, you know, maybe Northern Arizona and two and a half years. And if that's overbroad court, we'll give you permission to, to, and they call it a step down approach or a a blue pencil rule where they basically say they're going to let the court rewrite the contract when you try to take them to court. And even that shows that the, when, when an employer puts that in, it shows they knew that the original contract was way overbroad and overreaching and unenforceable. So it's almost like they're admitting on the front end that they knew these contracts wouldn't work and they're just trying to take advantage of an employee. Okay, so if I'm if I'm an employer and I know that Biden's order is being looked at, the FTC is going to be doing some rulemaking here over the next, you know, probably 18 months or so. And you know, I want to make sure I'm protected. Uh what am I doing? So, um, and that's really the biggest problem I see with a lot of these is you get somebody who gets like a form, a form non-compete or a form non-solicitation agreement, and they just put them in an, in their employee handbook or they put them in their contracts with their employees. Really what the employer needs to do uh, or a company owner that's wanting to use these types of agreements, they really need to figure out 
Why do they want them first? What are they trying to protect? Are they trying to protect a customer list? Are they trying to protect access to a product? And then they need to sit down with somebody and help actually craft one of these agreements to make to protect what it is they're trying to 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 address what it is they're trying to protect. And then the lawyer can say, okay, you don't need to ban someone from working in the entire state of Arizona. Maybe you ban them. From, maybe you limit them in um, you know North Phoenix. And so you sit down with a lawyer and you say, look, what am I trying to protect? And then you have the attorney and the company owner work collaboratively to craft an agreement that is enforceable so that you don't have to worry about when an employee is going out the door, um, whether they're going to turn around and try to take you to court to invalidate your company agreement. If you sat down and given it some thought on the front end and you think about what you're trying to protect and you write a contract that fits reasonably what you're trying to protect, and then you disclose it to your employee on the front end and you tell them up front, I'm hiring you. And by the way, as a condition of me hiring you and paying you a salary and giving you all these benefits, there's an additional requirement I have of you. And you disclose that to an employee up front. That's how it should be. In a perfect world, that's how it should be. Nine times out of ten, it's not. And that's why people come to me with – and people come to you and me with their legal problems. Okay. So – but I, th- I think you should do one more thing. Okay. As this rules roll out and we know what they are and we see them coming – you could, as an employer, you might find out that your rule is invalid. Oh, absolutely. And you better be ready before that rule goes into place to adjust your to start to start adjusting your rules to, to fit the new Biden rules. Right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I have I have clients that come to me all the time that have a key employee that actually did steal their customers or did um, steal a client list on the back end, and now or they they went and opened a competing business literally next door, and now they want to enforce these agreements against an employee who legitimately took things from their former employer, but because the contract, the non competition agreement, is written so badly. Now they can't enforce it, and now they've lost really a, a reasonable opportunity to try to limit the damage that a, that a former employee going out the door stealing their customer list is now done. Now there are other other legal avenues, but having a properly drafted um, restrictive covenant and not a properly drafted non solicitation or properly drafted non compete goes a long way to helping prevent those kinds of problems. And so even if you have an agreement right now, I would be, if I'm an employer or a company owner and I have these types of agreements, I would really be thinking about sitting down with somebody, an attorney who knows this type of work, and asking them to take a real hard look at my current contracts and helping me rewrite even my current contracts so that they that they comply with the Biden order or even or maybe even state law, which may be their own state law they're in violation of. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. If someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? They can contact me through my law firm, Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. Um, the phone number for that is 480-733-6800. Or they can drop me an email at dwilliams, D-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S, at davismiles.com. Thanks for having me, Bob. Thank you. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.